I am dedicating this message to folks who are here today who may be facing something that you didn't plan. Maybe for you, something has gone off the rails a bit, and because of that, you have had this season a change of plans, and that's actually the title of my message today, a change of plans. And what I want to do, the way I want to approach this is I want to talk to you this morning about the Christmas story, but then I want to give you one main thought for the day. <clears throat> now, I'm curious, how many of you would consider yourself planners? How many of you are planners? Can I see your hands? Okay, here's how you define if you're a planner. Have you started shopping for next Christmas already? Yeah, then you're not planners. Here's the truth. Here's the truth, and I confess this. It's kind of like, I feel like this is almost like AA. Um, hi, my name's Chris. Um, <clears throat> yesterday, we had our family Christmas. Yesterday night, my wife was shopping for next Christmas. Oh, she started long ago for next Christmas. Oh, I'm sorry. How many of you haven't started shopping yet? Okay, here's my trouble. If you haven't started shopping for this Christmas yet, this is a good place to be because you are so in trouble. You need God's help. So whether you're a planner or you're not a planner, Whenever life goes in a direction different than what you had thought it would, it can be challenging. Um, sometimes those changes of plans aren't a big deal. Maybe one of your kids is coming home from school and they say, hey, I was going to bring a friend home from school, so you've got to set an extra chair at the table. Or maybe as you're going through all of the grandkids' gifts, all of a sudden you realize they're not exactly even, and you have to go buy one more gift for that grandkid so that nobody feels like they have been slighted. So sometimes they're not such a big deal. But other times, they can be hard. Maybe when you were back in your 20s, you never anticipated that at the age of 55, you would be searching for a job, which is what happened to a friend of mine this year. Or maybe for you, it's a health battle that you never anticipated back on January 1st of this year. Or for you, it's the realization that a chair that was filled last Christmas at the table, this year you have to take away because you have experienced a loss in your family. And those losses are real. They can feel debilitating. They can feel overwhelming and heart-wrenching. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is a couple in the Bible that in some ways, face the same things that you and I do. A change of plans that you didn't anticipate, and the truth is, you didn't want. You're facing things that can feel as if life is ending, as if, what am I going to do? Now, in Matthew chapter 1, if you want to turn there, you can. If you have your Bibles, we're going to have no notes up on the screen. I just decided to give a break to everybody today, including our projectionist. In Matthew chapter 1, we find the story surrounding the advent of our Savior Jesus Christ. It's repeated in Luke chapter 1 and 2, but here's one of the things I realized as I prepared for today. I know it's not a new realization. You would all know it because you're Bible scholars. 
But one of the things that I realized that is in just a few brief paragraphs in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 and 2, months and even years of time go by. And it's almost like we're told a story in outline form, but God leaves it to us to flesh it out a little bit. So what I'm going to ask this morning is going to be hard for some of you. In fact, when I say it, some of you are going to scowl at me because you're going to feel like I am going over the line into sacrilege. But I'm going to ask you to imagine with me some things that the Bible does not say. Because I think the Bible tells the big story and it asks us to actually enter into the story with our imagination. If it would help you, can I just say our sanctified imagination? To enter into that story and imagine what went on behind the scenes of the storyline. So, with that kind of as my approach this morning, something I've never done before that I can remember anyways, I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads with me for a moment and pray because I don't want to go too far off the rails, but I want to help you to see what maybe happened behind the scenes. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you today knowing that uh, in itself, nothing that I say really is worth a hill of beans. Um, at best, it's meandering. It's just thoughts and views and perspectives. But Lord, I'm asking, and I believe this was of you, I'm asking you to blow upon it by your Holy Spirit. And open our hearts to imagine what it was like for this young couple on their first Christmas. Perhaps it's not our first Christmas, although there's some in this room who it is their first Christmas. Well, it was for Mary and Joseph. And I'm asking you to open our hearts and our minds to be able to imagine together what it might have been like. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So, you know the story, right? How many of you guys know the Christmas story? You've read it? You've heard it? Okay, good. Good. For those of you that don't, again, I'd encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. But my question is this. How did Mary and Joseph meet? How did they meet? I mean, we know that they got together. How did they meet? And so... In my mind, here, here's how I think it happened. I think one Wednesday night, I haven't even told you the story yet. One Wednesday night, it was youth group night because their church actually had youth group on Wednesdays because that worked better for everybody. So they had youth group on Wednesday. And one night, Mary, this young 16-year-old girl, was going to youth group because at, what, what do you do at 16 if you're a Good church girl, and you're a God lover, what do you do? You go to youth group. So Mary was going to youth group, but when she got to youth group and she's there with all of her girlfriends and everybody's laughing and giggling and having a good old time, it's time to start youth group, but this time it wasn't the regular youth leader. This time it was a young guy by the name of Joey who decided to lead youth group that Wednesday night. Joey had never led before, but he felt like maybe there was some call upon his life, so the youth leader decided to give him an opportunity to lead. So Joey's up there stammering and going all over the place. He's just kind of trying his best, not doing the greatest job, but he's doing his best. He's not real good at it, but he's passionate. 
And he's talking to them about the coming of the Messiah. And so all of these girls in the youth group, you know what it's like when you're 16 years old and you got a 21-year-old guy up there. They're not listening to a word he has to say. They're just thinking about, do you think he's cute? They're passing notes to one another. And one says, yeah, I think he's cute. And Mary says, no, he's not cute. He's really cute. And they're going on and on about all this stuff. But the cool thing is when Joey, who's not really good at teaching or preaching yet, when Joey gets excited, his eyes light up like he has contact lenses in. And for Mary, it's like, whoa, I think he's looking directly at me. Youth group ends. Joey finishes his teaching that night, and everybody kind of breaks up into groups, and they're having pizza together, and they're all talking together. And Joey makes his way over to the group where Mary is with all of her friends, and he's talking to all of them, having it. But after just a little while, it seems like he's asking her more questions than all the rest. And she begins to wonder about it a little bit because she thinks, well, he looks good. He's a good-looking young guy, but, you know, I'm so young. I'm 16. He's 21 years old. I mean, he's a grown man. And get this. He has a job. He's actually a guy who makes furniture. The last guy she liked, he stayed home with his parents, and he was hooked on PS4. I mean, he didn't even have a job. This guy is a grown-up. He's got a job and everything. And he seems like he's interested in her, but Mary thinks about it and says, no, he can't be interested in me. I'm just 16. Just a kid compared to him. Well, they end the night, and they each go their own way. And Mary thinks about it, and she decides, I'm not going to give him another thought because there's no way he could be interested in me. I'm not even that good looking anyways. All week long, though, Joey can't get Mary out of his mind. He thinks about her. He dreams about her. He begins to wonder, you know, do you think she, did she think I was just completely terrible up front and she wants nothing more to do with me again? Come next Wednesday, though, it's time for youth group again. And Joey's not teaching this time, but he's going to go because he wants to be with the youth leader. So he gives himself a little bit of Axe body spray, maybe a little bit more than normal. And he, gets to, he goes to youth group. And while he's at youth group and they're just kind of hanging out talking, Towards the end of the night, Joey kind of makes his way over to a group again, and he says to her, would you be interested in getting some coffee? Now, what do you think's going on in Mary's mind? She's saying, what does that mean exactly? Is this like you want all of us girls to go out together and get coffee, or did you mean me? And did you mean me because you're interested in me, or did you mean me because you see I've got some problems? What is this about? Well, she wasn't sure, but they decided they would go ahead and set a night to go to Nazareth Horizontal Coffee Shop <laughs> where they sit and they talk into the wee hours of the night until the owner, Todd, suggests that it's time for them to head home. But before they leave, they set up another time to meet again. And pretty soon, they're meeting again and again and again until finally, Joey says, I think it would be good if you kind of came and met my parents. And she was scared, but they did it. And then she takes him to meet her parents. And it's obvious things are getting serious, but nothing's being said. You know what that's like in that in-between time where you're both really interested, but you're not quite there yet. Well, finally, one day, Joey and Mary go to a local carnival. 
And you know, they got one of those games, I don't know if you've ever seen those games, where they've got like these Cupid dolls standing up in the back of this little kind of pavilion thing. And you've got to throw these rocks at it, because they didn't have softballs yet. So he's throwing these rocks at it, and he knocks down finally enough Cupid dolls to win her a teddy bear. And on the teddy bear is this little plastic ring. And she knew that meant he was really into her. He was serious about her. And so they go on with their life, and about maybe a week or two later, they go to a bazaar. But this time, there's no games or anything like that. Joey just decides he's going to buy her another teddy bear to match that teddy bear. And they would call one Teddy, and they would call the other one Roosevelt. Just, just to kind of be cute about it. But get this, when he hands her the teddy bear, this time, there's a real ring. And she doesn't know it, but he's been planning this forever. He's been saving his money in order to get her this ring. He gets down on his knee and he hands her the teddy bear and he says, Mary, will you marry me? And off far away in another little area with a long distance photo lens is his friend Nikolai who's taking a picture of it so that they can get the perfect shot to put on Instagram. And pretty soon the Facebook world knows it's all out there. Mary and Joey are engaged. They run home to tell their parents right away. And they, they, you know what happens. As soon as Mary tells her mom, what do they do? They start planning a wedding. Well, actually, I shouldn't say they start planning the wedding because Mary's mom is a little bit of a control freak. And so she, she's only got the one daughter. She's been planning this from the time she was pregnant with a little girl. So she's got this wedding all planned out together. And I know, I know, please hear me. I know that some of you sitting in this room are mad at me already because you're saying you're making it all up, Pastor Chris. Maybe I am, but you know they had to meet somehow in order for them to get together and to be engaged. What the Bible does tell us they got engaged. So you know it happened somehow. And I think God loves it when you enter into the story just a little bit more. They probably start doing the same thing that Karen and I did when we got engaged. The same thing you did when you got engaged. They start planning their life together. What's it going to look like? What are we going to do? What am I going to do to prepare and be able to provide for my family? Everybody does it. One thing we do know from the Bible is that they decided to wait to share physical intimacy until after their wedding day. We know that. The Bible says very clearly. They've probably talked about a house. What are you going to do? Where are we going to live? And they decided that they would just rent a cheap apartment, you know, downtown, you know, you know, up above where that guy who owns the uh, pharmacy in town, up where he owns that building, they would just live up there for a while because they wanted to live cheaply so that they could save their money because Joey, oh, I'm sorry, it's no longer Joey because now they're getting serious. I mean, you're engaged. You're grown up now. Act like a grown up. So now it's Joseph. Joseph decided he's always dreamt about building his own house. That was like a dream. I, I want to save our money so we can buy some property, and I want to build us a house that we will live in for the rest of our life. This will be our forever house. They talk about that. They talk about going to their church's financial peace seminar because they don't want to live with debt. They want to be able to live within their means very, very carefully. And they decided that because Mary was Microsoft certified, she could get a job in the office until some kids came along. 
And even when they start, you know what it's like. When they start talking about kids, they blush together because they know what that means. But they talk about kids and they decided they would like two girls because Mary never had a sister. She always thought, I don't want just one girl. You ought to have a sister you can play with. So they wanted two girls and they wanted three boys so that those three boys could help Joseph in his woodworking business. And they would talk about it. They would joke about it with their nieces and nephews who would come over to visit them as they were planning. And they even let the nieces and nephews pick the names of their kids. The two little girls were going to be Elsa and Anna. And the little boys were going to be Blaze and Marshall. And the third one was going to be unique. He he was going to be a curious little boy, so they decided to name him George. There was no George in their family. Well, I don't know if there was any Blaze or Marshall either, but they, that's what they decided. They let the nieces and nephews pick the names. And everything was going along well. They were excited until one day. Mary was doing her daily devotions, and she had the Old Testament reading in one hand, and she had Max Lucado in her other hand, and she was just doing her devotions. And suddenly, an angel appeared to her. An angel, think about it. You'd read about him in the Bible. Angels had done big things. But an angel appeared to her and said, Mary, you're going to have a son. And Mary said, I know, I know. Joseph and I have talked about that again. We do want a son one day. And, And the angel said, no, 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 you don't understand. You're going to have a son because you're going to get pregnant by God himself. Now, Can you imagine what that was like for a teenage girl? 16 years old is what most commentators believe. 16 years old to be told, you're now pregnant with God. What would that be like? What do you think would have been the first thing Mary would have thought? I think she would have said, i got to tell Joseph. I mean, she's closer to him than anybody else on the whole planet. She loves him with all of her heart. Of course she's going to run and tell Joseph what's going on. They had plans. But now, there'd been a change of plans. Something had happened for them. God had chosen her to give birth to a baby boy that would change the plans of the entire universe. Now, let's take a boat. Mary goes to tell Joseph what the angel had just told him. How many of you think Joseph was excited? How many of you think Joseph was freaking out? Yeah, yeah. He's a regular guy. I mean, come on. He's a woodworker guy. He's a rough guy. I mean, this is just a normal guy. He's engaged to this girl, and they've agreed that they would saved themselves until their wedding day. And she comes and says, i got to tell you, I'm pregnant. But the father's God. What do you think Joseph's thinking? He says, Mary, what are you smoking? Tell me who the guy is and I'll kill him. Here's what the Bible says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ. Hear this. This is the story now. For some of you who have hated everything I've said up to this point because it's not, quote, in the Bible. Here's the Bible. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child 
of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. These are real people, and we don't know how it came to pass. We don't know all of this stuff that I've just fleshed out for you a little bit. But you have to know that between verses 18 and 19, the fan threw all of the stuff against the wall. It was an unbelievable uproar within their family. Joseph loved Mary. He had even built her with his own hands a special hope chest that she could begin to store up gifts that were given to her ready for their wedding day. They had plans. They had talked for hours. They had committed to be faithful to one another and one another only and to save themselves for their wedding day. What do you do with the news that Mary brought Joseph? How do you explain this? If you're Joseph, how do you explain this to your parents? How do you explain it to your family, to your friends? How do you explain it to your church? Well, Mary's pregnant, but it's with God. Right. Everybody's going to believe that. In fact, if you jump ahead in the story, you will find that the talk around the community was that he was a bastard child. Because that's the word the Pharisees used for him. A child of an unwed mother. How do you explain this? And did I mention, by the way, that he loved Mary? He loved Mary. He trusted her. He didn't want her to be exposed in her sin because how else do you get pregnant? It had to be immorality. He loved her, and he would lay in bed at night, and he was crushed because this was to be his bride. He would lay in bed almost despairing but angry. What am I to do with this mess now? Now think about it from Mary's perspective. Here she is, a young girl who is a God lover and also desperately in love with her fiancé. But then this angel comes along. I mean, what one of you haven't said at some point, God, just send an angel. Did you ever think that if an angel ever came, it might disrupt things in your life just a little bit? Things might not go as you planned? Her whole world got turned upside down. And yet Mary's response in Luke chapter 1 is, may it be unto me according to your word. She said yes to God. I don't know what all it's going to cost me, God, but I say yes to you. The yes means that now all of her beautiful wedding and marriage plans are out the window. She's pregnant without a husband. She's going to wear a scarlet letter for the rest of her life. And by the way, who's going to take care of her now? Because no one in town's going to hire an immoral woman. Not in their community, which is a very religious, conservative, Republican community. No one will hire her. And her parents aren't sure they will even let her stay at home anymore because you have shamed the family. Can you imagine the gossip that spread through that community? 
her life as she knew it and planned it hadn't ended up at all as she had thought. Can you imagine what she was thinking, what she prayed? God, this isn't what I planned. This isn't what I hoped for. This isn't what I expected. I said yes to you, but I didn't expect that I would become the shame of my whole family and community. And the truth is, that change of plans is exactly where some of you are right now. You awoke today, and this isn't what you thought your life would look like. This isn't what you had planned on. Life hasn't gone exactly as you had strategically thought about ahead of time on that day many years ago. Maybe this year you saved your money. You were so careful. You saved your money. I mean, in the past, you've had hard Christmases. Sometimes you didn't even have hardly enough money to get your kids an orange for Christmas. But you saved your money, and it worked. You did better this year. And then last week, your washing machine died completely, and you had to take every cent of your savings to get a new washing machine to wash your old clothes because now you can't afford new clothes. Or maybe you took a job, a better job for your family, a job with promise, a job with the potential for promotion. And you worked that job hard, and it was going well, and you actually were promoted until, under President Trump, the economy took a turn. And you were LIFO. You know LIFO. Last in, first out. And you lost your job. The list could go on. You didn't plan, as a young girl, to have to live with migraines. You didn't plan on having to fight depression as a daily battle. You didn't plan on having to deal with cancer at this stage of your life. You didn't plan on losing your job. You didn't plan on getting hurt. God, what are you doing? This isn't what I planned. I told you this would be a simple message. I would tell you the Christmas story, and then I would give you one thought. Here's my one thought for this Christmas. If you're taking notes, this is simply the only point today, and it's this. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Mary and Joseph's plans were shattered. They were wrecked. Joseph, the scripture tells us, determined to send her away privately, like send her away to a relative far away so that she would not have to live with the shame in her own community. But then Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 says this, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, Joseph realizes that everything that Mary told him was true. That's wonderful news for him. 
Then the angel went on and gave him even better news. It doesn't always happen, but this time, the angel told Joseph God's purpose. Listen to the next verse, verse 21. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name for, this is the purpose, for he will save his people from their sins. That was God's purpose. You make plans, but God has a higher purpose. You could almost imagine Joseph. I think of Joseph like my grandson, Caleb. When something happens, he doesn't understand. He'll say, wait, 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 wait. Wait, are you telling me, God, that this mess that we're in has a purpose? And I feel like God wants to say to some of you today, maybe it's only one of you that I'm speaking to, but I feel like God wants to say to you that, yes, your mess does have a purpose. The end is not here yet. Wait for it. Wait for it with your eyes upon his promise, his purpose. I feel like God would say to you, my thoughts are so much different than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. And even though you may not feel it right now, I'm working a bigger and better purpose behind the scenes. Now, as you think about the Christmas story, you would think at this point things would begin to turn around. Now, Mary and Joseph together know that she's carrying God. She's carrying the Savior of mankind. You would think at this point, God would turn the story around and everything would begin to go smoothly, right? Nah, not so much. Now, suddenly an edict goes out from the king. Everybody has to go back to their hometown and pay taxes. So here's Mary, who's as big as a whale at this point in time. She's got to make this trek all the way back to Bethlehem. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. She has to make this trek. I know. I'm going to hear about it later. My wife's already shaking her head at me. Um, Lord Jesus, please forgive me and help my wife to forgive me too. Um, She has to make this trek all the way back to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, There's no room at the inn. And so they end up in a stable. Now, a stable, in a way, can sound kind of nice because I've been in some pretty nice Christmas stables. You know, I've I've been to living manger scenes. Come on. They can look pretty nice. Everything's neat and orderly. I don't think that's the way it was at all. I think their stable was actually probably, in their culture, a cave that was cold. It was dank. It was probably not smelling nice. But there, she goes through her labor. And I'm not talking about the birthing center. I'm not talking about nice, soothing music or an epidural. I'm talking about full-on hard labor with nobody there to help except for animals nosing in. And finally, the baby is born. And you'd think at this point, okay, now things will turn around. But within a short time, because the king, Herod, is a bit threatened by this new king of the Jews. And so he puts out an edict. All babies from the age of three on down are to be killed. And so they have to flee to Egypt. They join, by the way, the immigrant 
caravan to Egypt. And they flee for their lives. Now, that's the Christmas story. Fast forward just for a moment in your mind about 33 years. Something like that. And here's Mary, the one who had said, let it be unto me according to your word. She said yes to God. Here's Mary standing at the foot of a cross where she has watched her son, the Savior of mankind, be beaten and whipped and a crown of thorns placed upon his head. And there he is hung by his feet and his wrists by nails on a cross. You have to know that in her heart and mind, she's saying, God, this doesn't make sense. This isn't part of the plan. He was to save the world from their sins, and yet here he's dying. And God said, can you trust that I have a purpose that's bigger than your plan? And Mary's legs couldn't contain the weight of her grief anymore. She collapses to the ground as the veil is rent from top to bottom and the earth quakes. Put yourself in their place. Real people, real agony. This isn't what they had planned. Mary had a plan. Joseph had a plan. But God had a purpose. What was that purpose, you ask? Let me tell you clearly and unequivocally, I believe I know God's purpose. God's purpose that Christmas morning was you. You. It was you. God's purpose was that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would give his life to save you from your sins. So all of the pretty music, which is good, I enjoy it. I enjoy going into the mall and realizing they're playing the music we love. I love that. Turn on the radio, it's all over the place. You go to the shops now, and people actually smile at you at this time of the year. They're happy. I enjoy that but it's for a bigger purpose. And that purpose is you. I know everybody says Jesus is the reason for the season, but you're the reason for Jesus. He did it for you. Hallmark could not make a movie this good. They couldn't think about it. That someone would give their life for you. And that's what Christmas was about. Mary and Joseph had a plan. It was a nice ranch house with a white picket fence. He'd become a well-known furniture maker and he would compete with Ethan Allen and Ikea. They had a plan, but God had a purpose and his purpose was you. That you and I would know sins forgiven and that we would be grafted in, we would be adopted into God's family. Most often when people talk about the gospel, which we sang about today, by the way, is gospel of peace. We talk about the gospel, but most people start with, you're a sinner. I got to tell you, that's not good news. Most everybody knows that already. The good news is God's not mad at you. He actually likes you. He loves you. When I share with people down at Bud's at my office there, I don't start with them being bad people, I start with the fact that God really likes you. He likes how he made you. In fact, he really loves you. And God has something for you. That's good news in a world 
It's always tit for tat. What do you got for me? I'll give it if you give it. No, God gives freely. And all he wants back is for you to accept his gift. If you're one of those who've had a change of plans, and maybe right now things are difficult, some churches do what's called a blue Christmas service. And I think that's very valuable at the season of the year when maybe for many, for the first time in their life, they're celebrating a Christmas without a loved one. Maybe it's a parent who has passed within this last year or another relative or perhaps there's been upheaval in your family of some sort. Well, we didn't do a blue Christmas service but I felt like I wanted to on this, just a couple of days before Christmas, tell you that though you're going through a challenging time, and I'm not minimizing or diminishing the pain of it at all, I believe it's real and it's probably excruciating for you. You've probably spent many nights on your pillow weeping yourself to sleep. I think it's real. But I think the heart of God grieves with you over the loss, but he says, even in that mess, He has a purpose that's higher. And he's working his plan for your good. The scripture says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. You don't have to understand God's purpose to trust it. You just have to understand that he does have a purpose. This Christmas, as we talk about the birth of Jesus, understand that Mary and Joseph were people just like you and I. They had plans. And their plans were upset. But what God worked out was so much better. And he's doing it in your life too. Would you stand with me? Would you just, uh, if you would, close your eyes for a second. Just kind of wall yourself off from everybody around you. Just you and the Lord. Maybe for you, this has been a Christmas in which you have often cried out to God, God, what are you doing? What's going on? I don't pretend to have a solution for your pain, but I do have an answer. And that answer is a God who loves you. Life can get messy. God works even in that. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you today as just one among many. I've thought over this Christmas season preparing for it of losses in my own life. My own mom and dad, my father-in-law, even thinking now of a sister and a brother who've gone on before, nephew, a brother-in-law, losses, but also that things have not always worked out the way I planned. Oh Lord, in a group this size, there are many who are just like that, and they're facing things that are devastating in their heart and soul. Lord, I'm asking that this Christmas, maybe it's not going to be an angel, but it could be a whisper from your heart to theirs, that you're with them, 
though their plans haven't gone as they had desired, you're still with them. I'm asking you, God, to make your presence greater than all other presence that they get. Show yourself to them, Father, over this season. Let this be a season in which they draw close to you. And it's possible, Father, that there's some here who have had a change of plans, but they're not, like, for them a big deal. They can shrug it off. It's like water off a duck's back, and they move on. But it's still, it's been a change of plans. And just seeing that it was true for Jesus' own parents helps them to realize stuff does happen, and it's okay. God's still got us. Lord, I'm asking you to be the one who is the bright and shining star for all of us this Christmas as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of mankind. I pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and if I don't see you prior to then, have a very Merry Christmas. God bless you.